Hello everyone. Before we start today's podcast, some exciting news for you. You can experience the Inside Politics podcast live in Dublin on May 16th when Hugh Linehan, Jennifer Bray and I will be joined by Cliff Young of Ipsos, one of America's top pollsters, to talk about the US election, our own local and European elections and much more. It's a breakfast event kicking off at 8am in Trinity College. If you'd like to attend, you can get tickets at irishtimes.com forward slash events. That's irishtimes.com forward slash events. I hope we see lots of you there. It is Wednesday, December the 27th, and you're very welcome to this cold turkey edition of the Inside Politics podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan. For this last podcast of 2017, I was joined by three stalwarts of the Irish Times politics team. Our political editor, Pat Leahy, his trusty Taunashta, Fia Kelly, and our sage and always temperate parliamentary correspondent, Michael O'Regan. The conversation began thus. So God rest ye, merry gentlemen, because you are all gentlemen, and that's a story for another day indeed. But... Pat, 2017, um, and Annas Mirabilis? I suppose that depends on what standpoint you're looking at it from. And Annas Mirabilis for our new Taoiseach? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, man is 38. 38. And he is Taoiseach. Um, I wrote a column for last Saturday's uh, paper which um, described this because a as often is the case, those of us who are very close to politics sometimes fail to step back. But actually, if you look at the government, I went through all the various appointments to government and to the junior ministerial ranks this year. There has been a massive generational change in Irish politics in 2017. That is the thing that would be most obvious to people outside. Uh, clearly, Varadkar is the best known face of that. But if you look at it, this time last year, our government was headed by... Mm-hmm. Enda Kenny, who is 67, uh, Francis Fitzgerald, who is 68, and Michael Noonan, who was 74. And these were all people who had been significant political figures in the early 1980s. Uh, Francis Fitzgerald as a, uh, <coughs> as, as a women's, women's activist, um, Michael Noonan as a, as, a, as a minister at the time, and Enda Kenny, who had already been a backbencher for more than 10 years at that stage. That's right. Yeah. Roll on, roll on, 12 months, and the Taoiseach is 38. Tornishta Simon Coveney is 45. The Minister for Finance, Pascal Donoghue, is 43. Now, you can make too much of ages, but I think when you... And right throughout the ranks of both Owen Murphy, Cabinet, Simon Harris... Owen Murphy, mm-hmm. Simon Harris at the junior ranks, people like Brendan Griffin, <coughs> you see Helen... Um, uh, Helen McEntee promoted mm-hmm. to, uh, to Europe Minister. The face of our government, particularly of Fine Gael, looks at least a generation younger than it did 12 months ago. And I think that that is feeding into our politics already, things like the abortion question, but also uh, in the way that the Taoiseach and and, and his administration is dealing with the North, where there's a lot less... Um, kid gloves, I think, uh, when dealing particularly with the DUP. This isn't the generation of politicians that grew to political maturity at a time of violent conflict in the North. It isn't the generation of politicians that husbanded this fragile peace process into existence and then through its difficult first years. It's the generation of politicians which regards the North as a settled question. And I think that... You know, Wrongly, that perhaps. generation and, and, and age in that respect 
matters mm. and I think it will matter more as this government uh, goes about its business. Michael, I hesitate to say that you're the oldest person around the table. You may well not By be. By far. <laughs> but but, but you, bring, you bring to these matters a, you know, a sage and experienced eye. What do you make of this generational change? I think it's quite significant. I think Pat is right. The, the, this was the year, uh, uh, the past year where, where we witnessed it. I think it's very significant uh, in that um, it will continue into next year when Mary Lou MacDonald, right, mm-hmm. it's a certainty to take over the leadership of Sinn Féin. And come the next general election... You'll have uh, uh, these new people, so to speak. You'll have Michal Martin, who uh, still a relatively young man, but who was very much part of the Fianna Fáil government uh, that eventually lost power and, and lost it very, very badly. Um, so far, I think they're showing their mettle. This generational change is a good thing. And uh, if you look back, in fact, at, historically, at probably the best period of government in Ireland was under Sean Lamass, where he promoted very young ministers like Donald O'Malley, Charlie Hawhey, Brian Lennon uh, and others and gave them their head. Uh, and they were very good ministers. A lot was achieved in the 1960s. So from that point of view, I think it's it, it was inevitable, I suppose. But I think it's a positive development. Yeah, not for nothing. There's a portrait of Sean Lamass hanging in the Taoiseach's office now alongside the portrait of Collins that was there in, 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 in Kenny's time he brought in the picture of Lamas as well he clearly identifies with him I think one thing about Faradkar as well Pat has alluded to the, the generational change but the generational change wasn't quite yet complete with the leadership change you know we had the Taoiseach being leader of Fine Gael. his deputy leader was Simon Covey but the tarnished it was still Francis Fitzgerald and I think you know initial reading of the change has been that he seems to be lucky as well so he went into a political crisis that nearly brought down the government and we would be getting over a general election now if, if that hadn't been solved. We'd be just kind of yeah, getting into he, the real nitty-gritty of the recounts now yeah, today. And, and, or, but what happened yeah. was he, he is widely perceived to have lost. His judgment was second to Michal Martins. Uh, he probably mm. didn't get the best advice, but he came out of that having survived and having totally refreshed the government. That a consequence of that crisis was that that link that Pat talks about to the previous generation, Frances Fitzgerald, was gone. She was gone. And now Simon Coveney was tarnished a slight rejigging of the cabinet and a completely fresh face. And do you agree with Pat, as the youngest member of this discussion, that it really makes a substantive difference as opposed to an oh, yeah. image difference? No, I think it does because, like, like even small things, like people, people can relate to these people a bit more because they feel that these people have, you know, lived the same experiences they have. Pat wrote a very good column about this the day after Farrakhar became... Uh, leader of Finnegan, but not yet Taoiseach, where he said, these are the people who lived through the negative equity generation. The problems that, you know, the success of the boom and the problems that the bus left behind. People between the age of 25 and 45, probably age 25 and 50, really, look on and say, they have lived the same life I have, to a certain extent. And I think that's a huge, huge plus for Finnegan at the moment. The, the, the demographic fact is that the leadership of this government uh, now looks more like population average Ireland yeah. mm-hmm. than the previous than the previous generation actually I was thinking about it when constructing uh, the column that actually if you take at the that the, the apex of government Pascal Donoghue Leo Varadkar Simon Coveney that is the youngest leadership of the country since Collins mm. Griffith yeah. uh, Cosgrave uh, in, and, and in the, the 1920s yeah. It is actually, that's, that's very interesting. The other thing is that in the past, we had leaders who stayed on too long. 
I mean, most notably, Eamon de Valera <coughs> uh, stayed on too long as Taoiseach, for instance. Uh, and a lot of his uh, ministers were contemporaries from the Civil War and the War of, uh, and the War of Independence. And it led to some, it led to social and economic stagnation. Mm. Uh, but so from that point of view, the generational shift has arrived and it's, it, it's, it, looks, it looks good so far. Okay. I, I think, though, you know, we shouldn't get carried away with it either because in policy terms, if you take the, the Varadkar administration, there is not much to distinguish it from the Kenny generation. But I think Varadkar is by nature caution. His nature is to examine, to ruminate and then to act. And I think you're seeing, say, the first major distinction, I think, will be on abortion. Mm. Now, if the government, as we expected to do, accepts the recommendations of the Oireachtas Committee, uh, which was chaired by another new generation politician, Catherine Noon, who's in her early 40s, um, if it accepts that, uh, those recommendations, and pushes for a referendum on abortion, which I think it will, to be followed if, pa- if it is passed by legislation allowing for uh, abortion on request up to 12 weeks, that would have been in- unimaginable under Enda Kenny. Mm. Unimaginable. If you think of the difficulty that Enda Kenny had in uh, passing the 2013 Protection of Human Life in Pregnancy uh, Bill. Uh, That was the most traumatic event Mm. of that Mm. government's life. And this was a government that that presided Mm. over the worst austerity budgets uh, in in the history of the country. And yet it was over abortion that it underwent its major political trauma. It lost more TDs over uh, over abortion than it lost over budgets. And a new party was formed from the splinter of Finnegan. It wasn't a very successful party, but it was formed. And one thing that came back to me actually in recent weeks when this idea of, you know, Varadkar set out this process by which the government will eventually, we assume, arrive to the conclusion as Pat mm. has outlined that there will be a special parliamentary party meeting on the 15th of January. I remember the special parliamentary party meeting covering it. That took place during the last process in 2013. It was an exhaustive meeting, if you speak to people who were at that. It went on into the night and it was spoke to that thing that Pat says it was a different even party was run in a different way and people nearly had to bury themselves in that party meeting and say this is the difficult decision you are putting us in and yes. Kenny because you're not releasing the whip for us. But actually I think it, 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 when you consider the difference between that experience of Fine Gael and, the, and the, 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 the emerging experience on the current legislation or the, 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 the likely legislation in the new year, it actually demonstrates that the point about generational change is broader than just the government. The doll looks different. If you look at the prominent TDs <laughs> in all parties, they're all of that new generation. People and, like and, Owen and O'Brien, about time, and about like time too, Murphy, isn't it? Because the, the people who dominated mm. Because in a way, Pat, the implication of what you're saying there is that, and, and I think Michael has actually said it, is that they had all got a bit too old, that they had got out of whack with the profile of the, you know, and I suppose you know there are dynamics to these things in politics as in other areas of life. A and it tends to move in old, fits and starts. And it goes, politics, yes, and it, it, yeah. it does, Jack, doesn't. Jack Lynch used, told us, uh, used to tell a story that when he was offered um, a ministry by Sean Lamas, now he'd been brought in by De Valera, all right, but, uh, and, um, you know, he was talking about this is a great thing to happen to him and all this and uh, uh, mind you he, he was thinking maybe of staying with his legal career and Lamas famously said to him Would, will you look at what I have to work with and Lamas was talking about his own contemporaries who were very conservative people and who pretty 
precious little to offer anymore in terms of policy. Yeah, I mean, first, they were an extraordinary generation, it, uh, that earlier, revolutionary oh, generation. Were, yeah, earlier, certainly. We're talking of 30, 40 years That's later. Right. It's always, always, always a problem with revolutions in particular that they tend to hang on longer, longer, longer than they want to. Listen, I am going to try and change the habit of a lifetime and actually put some structure on this, the, the remainder of this, uh, <laughs> good luck, good luck with that. this discussion. Let's, let's see how that goes. I wanted to throw in... Uh, a, couple of questions which each of us would try to answer in our own way and I'll put myself in the hot seat first of all by trying to answer the first one. The first one being uh, what international political trend do, do we think we might see really arriving in a meaningful way in Ireland in the next 12 months or 18 months or thereabouts. So I've chosen a word which popped up last week in the news because the Oxford English Dictionary chose it as the word of the year and lots of people poured derision on it at the time, including me, because I thought it was ludicrous. And that word was youthquake, uh, which according to the OED was the word of the year. Uh, Much to everybody's surprise, it's actually a word that was uh, invented in the 1960s about hippie, hippie shaking teenagers. Uh, But it is really applied because in the UK, um, they had an extraordinarily surprising election. At least it was seemed to be extraordinarily surprising to all the political parties in terms of the results, mm. not to mention most of the polling companies as well. Mm. And one of the driving forces betri- behind how surprising it was, was because the prediction of how many young people, people under 30, would turn out to vote proved to be quite dramatically wrong. Mm. And that prediction was based upon voting patterns going back for years and indeed for Mm. generations. So something happened in the UK last year and a cohort of the population that hadn't been coming out, particularly young people, did come out. Now, an awful lot of political campaigns around the world in the United States, in the UK, and indeed here, are predicated on the notion that more well-off people vote, vote are more likely to vote than less well-off people, that older people are less likely to, are more likely to vote than younger mm-hmm. people. If that equation changes, there's a couple of questions that, that brings up. One is, what's causing it to change? Um, and the other one is, what effect would that have on the political process? Clearly what's causing it to change, it seems to me, are phenomena which are as evident in Ireland as they are in these other countries. The kind of the particular pressures on people under 30 in terms of precarious mm-hmm. employment, the impossibility of having somewhere where they would live at a reasonable price, uh, a general uncertainty about the future and a sense that their future is less bright than their parents' future would have been at a similar stage in their lives. And it seems to me at least possible that given that all those things are clearly, clearly, obviously, but most obviously in the in the, the mm. property crisis, but in other areas too, clearly true in Ireland as well, that that might become an issue in Ireland. And if that becomes an issue in Ireland, well, then will that have an impact on some of the ways in which we seem to be dealing with, or perhaps more precisely, not dealing with these really, really mm. uh, intractable I, issues right now, particularly the housing and, 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 I, and, and homes. I agree with you to a point. And I agree with you that... The phenomena we've seen, particularly in Britain last year, of the Corbyn surge and the way that was harnessed through. I know everybody's so bored of hearing saying this is the first social media election. No, no election is. But the way in particular, through apps, through you know canvassing, planning, through the way they harnessed that vote, I think the effect that that is what will translate. Because okay. we're always a step behind. Which is a technique. Which is a technique. Rather, but than, rather it, than an issue based. Yeah, but, and like it is true to say that, like everybody goes to the Tories collapsed, but it didn't really. They were polling on mm. 43%. They finished on 43% in the election. It was just the fact that the Corbyn surge came from behind. I would probably say that that was because there was a galvanizing effect on the younger generation of voter 
in the UK because they didn't turn out to vote in the referendum. They felt that we, li- we, we missed that beat, so let's not miss the next one. Which they did. Which they did. So we have, there would have to be a similarly galvanizing effect here, I think, for us to experience the same magnitude of surge. So the referendum is often spoken of the thing that will politicize everybody. But the referendum is shaping up to be non-party political. The last great liberal referendum, the marriage equality referendum, gave no electoral benefit to anybody. So I think what you say about the, the technique and the way that kind of youth vote was managed and got out there, that will certainly translate. Uh, the person uh, managed to do that successfully will benefit, I think, in the next election. And the you other look at it like the, the so, Finnegale aped the Tories' social media campaign from 2015 and 2016. It was very much Facebook dominated. You know, you're sitting down having your cup of tea at seven in the evening, blah, blah, blah. This video popped up. The SEU are doing that now here, but they haven't yet taken the next step. There's a couple of things that strike me about that. One is that Labour, as well as having a very well thought out social media strategy and knowing how to use the tools, also had an enthusiastic grassroots movement mm. in the shape of mm. momentum and they behind them, which was activists di- on the ground. They had a very you know? different set of policy options. That are not going to be. They also had, that are not going to be. They also, had conc- they also had concrete issues like university fees was yeah. a concrete issue which yes. you could have a position on. And, yeah. and, and, and Brexit being, you know, a great, you know, a great motivating factor for younger yeah. people. Though the, uh, but young people's votes for Labour against Brexit were based on the, the, there was mm. some research published in the Times Higher Education <coughs> Supplement on this during the week, which demonstrated that uh, amongst students, um, say like sixty or sixty-five percent of students believe that Labour. Are, uh, Labour would reverse Brexit, which of course yeah. is not Labour policy at all. In a way, that's, Is the, there that's, a the genius, that's the genius of the current Labour position in the UK, actually, is having its cake. I, I suspect it's a slightly yeah. accidental genius, but yeah. yes, yeah, yeah. But the, 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 the point is that there was the Brexit vote galvanised those people to say we're not going to be missed, skipped again. It demonstrated and to the key them thing will happen. Politics does, can does, intrude on their yeah, lives. And does it happen in the midterms in the US next year that people who stayed away? for the election of Trump. Now, so we're not staying away. We saw a bit of it last week. Perhaps in the senatorial race in Alabama, does it then, do the people who said, hang on, populism took took over my political situation, I didn't really bother my backside doing anything about it. Do I do something about it now? Is there any possibility of something like that happening in, in, in Ireland, Michael? You know, that of there being actual different interests among different generations. I mean, it includes people who are on yellow pack contracts mm. while the people who are 10 years older than them are on much better contracts or have better pension provision. There is a generational divide there. There is a generational divide. And I think the next election will be fought on the economy. Housing as well, obviously, and health. Uh, uh, you know, the the abortion referendum will have been parked. And Fiek is right. I mean, nobody got any credit for the uh, for uh, social referendums in the past in the general election. I think the other thing that we sh- And this is where Veratkar might just click with people. Uh, uh, you know, if he's seen to being de- delivering in some way and seen to do well in Brexit, now the jury's out on that. The other thing we shouldn't underestimate is... Voter alienation. We saw it in the United States. I mean, there is now the elevation of Barack Obama to sainthood because we're comparing him with that moron who's now in the White House. Barack Obama was responsible for some of that alienation during his two terms. Not everybody who voted for Trump was a white bigot. There is, and we saw it in Britain. The, the, the swing behind Corbyn, for instance, is, it reflects a certain uh, societal alienation on the part of, mm. of people who feel they've been left behind. 
so now how that might manifest itself here, I, I'm not too well, sure. Well, it might manifest itself in some ways. Our, our relatively recent arrived columnist, David McWilliams, uh, Pat has pointed out that the current economic recovery, not just in Ireland but in other countries as well, isn't delivering the better wages which which people expected and which previous you know economic recoveries have done, and that there are kind of fundamental ways in which our Western economics have changed, which are which are causing that to happen. But the, look, I think there's certainly in that if that effect is is there. Although I've seen James Coffey and other people disputing that, but um, if that effect is there, it is certainly exacerbated by the gen- generational gap or the generate the difference in treatment mm. between different generations. And I think that is a growing issue. And we spent the first half of this program talking about the new generation in power, and I think this is an opportunity for them, but also a danger for them. I think that if you know, I mean, in 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 simple terms, a huge issue uh, that disproportionately affects young people is housing and and the cost of rents. I think if the government can make progress on that, and can couch its message in a way that is understood and accepted by younger people, then I think there's a tremendous political opportunity for Leo Varadkar and his administration. But if they fail to take that, and it would, it would be hard to say that you know, very concrete and, and, and substantial progress has been made to date, then I think they will be greeted by the familiar refrain of you're the same there as all the others. others. Michael, what in the, wor- in the international world of politics do you think we might see being more prominent in Ireland next year? Uh, I, I, think we, I think we'll see uh, a growing, an increasing scepticism about fake news. And I, I think that um, th- this, I think, is where the mainstream media may make some kind of recovery uh, in the sense that uh, I, I think people are getting tired of the extreme end of social media. Uh, they're watching, I, I think Trump has given Twitter a bad name. This is why Leo has to be very, very careful. Uh, so I, I think we may, we, we may see that. But th- th- there's one thing about the Irish voter, though. If you look historically, the Irish voter is by nature cautious, even conservative, and, um, uh, and very much focused on the economy. Look at 40 years ago when you, uh, 19, Jack Lynch called an election in 1973 to, to, uh, uh, before the, the, the voting age was down to 18 because he knew that generation would vote against Fianna Fáil in power since uh, 57. And then in 1977, you had the new Fianna Fáil, a campaign orchestrated by his then young General Secretary, Seamus Brennan, where you had T-shirts and songs and all that kind of thing. Very different to a staid uh, Fine Gael campaign. And the young people of that time, uh, you know, they, they, they bought the promises to uh, abolish, uh, uh, you know, motor tax and all that kind of thing. So... It, I, I think it will be fought in the economy, but at, at, at its core, though, the Irish voter is conservative. Well, that might be good in terms of the, the, the fake news thing. I'm really not so sure about it. It's mm. a phrase which became fell into disrepute almost as soon as it was, it was coined. It, it's it, used. It, it it's seems it's to me. the most awful yeah. term because it's thrown at us now for like yes, so casually, are, oh, fake news. Right right I'm, not, the, I'm not fake yeah. news, but like, you know, people disagree with something you're right, you're accused. Like it's, it's now this badge that has been taken. Clearly though, the there have been actual specific and we, we can see them and they've been documented problems and issues mm. in certain elections in other countries over the last over mm. the last year and a half. And there has been some suggestion in particular that we might see that here for the first time 
in the uh, in the referendum on the Eighth Amendment because of the subject matter, because of the the high emotion which which the subject raises, and also because it's a subject which will uh, get the attention and the support of certain kind of political factions outside the country as well. And that's one of the things with, quote, fake news, unquote, is that it comes through social media channels that can't be regulated mm-hmm. in the way that the, 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 the print and broadcast media are regulated in Ireland. Right I think now. there'll be a reaction to that. Now, a lot of people might agree, but I think there will, because I think the voter is more sophisticated now. I, I was around for the 83 referendum. It was terrible. I mean, the politicians who support, who opposed the wording, uh, opposed it, by the way, when the then Attorney General warned uh, this is dangerous legally, and he was ignored. He was ignored, by the way, by Gareth Fitzgerald as much as Charles Fahey. But the, I remember talking to a number of politicians at that time who had opposed it, and the hate campaign, the anonymous letters that they got, this is before email, this is before <laughs> social media. It was appalling. I mean, uh, in uh, 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 a politician who is now supporting the repeal of the amendment showed me something he received quite recently. Uh, terrible, terrible, uh, uh, anonymous uh, uh, message. And it's as bad as 83. So we're going to see a lot of that, Pat, in the next six months? I think you'll see, I think you'll see some of it, yeah. I think that the point you make earlier about, you know, this being completely unregulated um, is is an important one because we have laws that prevent uh, political advertising on broadcast media here. You can't, in the way that you can in the United States, you can't book television ads for your party or your candidate. You can't do it on the radio, but you can, you can do it online. It, mm. it's, it's the Wild West online. There's no, uh, there's no regulation on it. I don't even know too, if it is. Nobody really wants to do that anymore. If it's, uh, yeah, I don't know if it is. Uh, uh, I don't know if it's possible to do it online. But that is a thing, and that will, be part of the, that will be part of the campaign. And one of the things that that has done in the United States is it has exacerbated the role of money or intensified or mm. increased the role of money and therefore the importance of fundraising and therefore the dependence of politicians on big donors because television advertising is expensive. Now, I guess online advertising isn't as expensive, but once it becomes a necessary part of an election campaign, as it will be now in the future, then it is a fact. And there are two things to say about that. One is that it is possible to book and to purchase this kind of, this kind of advertising outside the country uh, through shell companies. So it could be very difficult, if not impossible, to know where the money's coming from. Uh, and the other issue is that unlike a tele- television ad or a radio ad or a newspaper ad, it's not necessarily visible to everybody when one of these things is because it's targeted. Mm. So it's only visible to the target population. Yeah. Great, so clearly what happened in America, for example, the United States is lots of people just didn't realise the kind of advertising that was yeah, which is a great benefit of that type from. of advertising that you can so target it sure. at the people you want to see it. And that is the great potency of it. And that, when it has been behind, you know, successful contests, be they elections, you think of 15, the UK... Or you think of the Brexit referendum, they are so targeted because they know exactly what they're looking for. Like the great story I thought of the Brexit referendum was, I think it was leave.eu sent this email around to people going, you know, win a million pound if you pick the, the, win, the winner of every match in Euro 2016. And I was like, oh, yeah, it's great. Yeah, filled it in. They had the details like that. They knew where they were. They knew what their interests were. And they targeted them so specifically. I think the skill of it is also the massive, massive danger of it. Anything else international that people think is going to have an impact? I think just, just on, on, on that point, just to go back to a point that Michael was making earlier, that it, it is true, and again referring to our uh, the earlier part of our discussion when we are talking about the new generation um, of, uh, of, of, 
of politicians. One of the things I have in, they have in common, uh, I think, that is different to or sets them apart from the generation of Michael Noonan and Enda Kenny is that, is that they are not afraid of pro-life campaigners. Mm. In fact, true, most yes. of them are more afraid of repeal campaigners, albeit that they are disproportionately in favour of repeal themselves. They would hear a lot more, I suspect, on their social media feeds from uh, vocal campaigners for repeal of the Eighth Amendment than they do from pro-life campaigners. And I think there will be much more. I mean, the, 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 the pro-life or anti-abortion laws in this country are a prod- did not arise out of the political system. They arose from outside the political system and pressured the political system into doing something. And everybody says, of course, uh, you know, that the Eighth Amendment has turned out to be a disaster and it has certainly turned out to have consequences that were not foreseen at the time. But from the anti-abortion perspective, it has been a huge success. Mm. It has backstopped uh, the most anti-abortion laws in Europe to the extent that we now require, if we are going to overturn that, we now require a popular referendum. So I, I think we should bear that in mind as well. From the perspective of the people who campaigned for its insertion, it has been a great success and they will campaign uh, certainly as energetically, I think, for its, uh, for its retention. But in that campaign, Whereas the experience of reading about the 1983 campaign and talking to people who were there, where it was very much this enormous pressure from outside to get the political system to do something. I think in this campaign, there will be something much more like an equality of arms. Or in fact, if there is is an inequality of arms, I think it'll be on the pro-repeal side. We shall see that. Listen, we started off by mentioning Ananas Morabolus for for our new Taoiseach. I want to do a whip around the table and say, see, who you think will have an Annus Horribilis next year, or at least not such a good year? Who's who's uh, who's tracking up and who's tracking down, Fook? I think the independent TDs and the independent brand generally won't have a good year next year. I think we've seen in polling in the certainly this year um, that the centre ground is reasserting itself, the big two are reasserting themselves because the economy is doing well, people are less inclined to vote for protest part protest parties or protest individuals and I think with the coming of Mary Lou MacDonald we are going back to a two and a half party system and I think the indep- any independent TD in the Dáil has an absolutely huge fight on their hand Every single one? I would think well there's still be a, a, a clutch of them but there is going to be like you know a side gone through the ranks of the independents I would think at the next election I think the next year is going to be key for those independents who want to dig in because if they do make it back, they still will be hugely significant in the next all if we're in a situation where we have a minority government, you have to cobble together something. But I think they are going to come under huge pressure in the coming year because the two parties are going to come out. Michael, who or what is going to have a bad year next year? I think you could have many TDs weep, weeping over their mince pies this time next year. And I think they would be but the they ones... They might even be TDs anymore. <laughs> they might even be, depending precisely, we could have an election. But I think the people who have advocated... I would say this, wouldn't I? New politics. I think there's going to be a growing public disillusionment with this inertia and paralysis that it has caused. Uh, I think that I suspect that Fianna Fáil maybe could come worse out of it in the sense that uh, they're keeping the minority government in power. If you talk privately now to uh, Fianna Fáil TDs, uh, particularly the ones who were sceptical about Michal Martin's strategy at, after the last election, they will tell you that they feel they'll get no thanks from voters uh, uh, for this. I'm inclined to disagree with Fiuk. I, I think I think the independents, many of them, are individually strong in their constituencies. 
and that they will survive. And I think that our own Irish Times polls have showed this move to the centre ground. But look, a three-week election campaign, things could change. Mm. Pat? I think next year Michael O'Regan is going to come around to the idea of new politics <laughs> and then in 12 months time he'll be sitting there hailing successes I think next year will be very difficult for Theresa May I think that uh, the Brexit negotiations will be a huge running story all year, there's a number of deadlines in it, most notably the, to, have the, uh, to have the next phase of the relationship uh, agreement concluded by the end of next year, as Michel Barnier said. I think that there will be Irish involvement in that, though it will be diff- different uh, to this year. And I think that Theresa May is going to find out that, or she may realise it already, but I think her supporters or the Brexiteers will find out that this is less a negotiation then it is a naming of terms by the EU. The recent breakthrough to allow the second phase of talks to continue um, uh, in Brussels was achieved not by conciliation between the two sides, but by the British caving on all of the requirements of the EU. I think that process will continue. I think it will be destabilizing for Theresa May, perhaps, perhaps fatally so, and I think that that will have significant repercussions here. The only thing that will save her would probably be that anybody who wants to succeed her will want her to take that humiliation first, get the humiliation out of the way. That I think is the current, uh, I think that is the current dispensation, but I'm not sure that would be Mm. robust enough to survive uh, what's coming. Perhaps it is no accident that what the French word for sadomasochism is le vis anglaise uh, because it looks like they've been indulging in, in, in quite a lot of that. So I, have a, I have somebody else who I think is going to have a bad year, although most people don't seem to ag- agree with me on this. Um, as we know from Ian Duncan Smith, the uh, Irish presidential election <laughs> hangs over us heavily Just his timing in, the, in, the, in, in, in the calendar ahead. And obviously the one person, well, there are probably many people, but the one person who most of all does not desire to have an Irish presidential election is the current incumbent mm. Michael D. Higgins and I just have a feeling in my waters that uh, somehow or other there will be another candidate put forward, most likely by some strange cobbled together coalition of independents mm. and if that happens I just wonder is there a domino effect then that that puts Fianna Fáil in a position when they then have to put forward a candidate themselves particularly in terms of what Michael's talking about, about grumbling on the back benches about the party yeah. being too quiescent and if all that happens I wonder whether Michael D is really up mm. for an actual contest That's the question and I think I think Fianna Fáil will put forward a candidate or they're certainly trying to make shapes in that direction to scare Michael D from actually uh, contesting again but someone kind of put it very they put it to me a couple of weeks ago on Fianna Fáil and said, look, the day when the parties can all sit down and agree a candidate and that person gets another seven years in, in Phoenix Park is over. Like, this isn't like, you know, 30 years ago. We're just talking about participation in politics. That's not going to fly. So I agree there will be a contest. I still don't think he's made up his mind. I think, just speaking to people over, over the last few days, and they said he is actually genuinely, this thing I will decide in March. He's saying, well, look, I'll, by the springtime, I'll have an idea. I know he well, said... Was he being a bit too cute? He was a bit too stage. cute by yeah. saying, I will yeah. do it this time next year. Mm, that sure was, was that was seen as a way of him trying to stitch up the thing, the entire so process. That was a bad move And it made that backfired. called out on that may give him pause for thought. I think you're 
there's a lot to your domino effect theory. I think the order mm. of it is that the independence, um, coalition of independents, nominate a candidate because they can. Mm. Then Sinn Féin nominate a candidate because they don't want to leave the space mm. to the independents. Then Fianna Fáil have to get in and then Fianna mm. Gael have to get in. If it was left up to Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil, there would not be an I'm election. Michael sure Dean would take his If you look at Fianna Fáil, there's no obvious candidate from within their own ranks. They won't want one from in the ranks. They want somebody yeah. from outside. Look mm-hmm. at Fine Gael. No obvious candidate from within their own ranks. Francis the, Perhaps, but Francis inevitably would be tainted by the fact that she had to resign from government. Otherwise, I think she would be a strong candidate. The independents, I'm not too sure of at all. Certainly those in the so-called hard left I spoke to have ruled it out. Mm. Uh, totally, they, they, they would see it as expensive. They may facilitate somebody, but I just don't see anyone around who, who uh, could make an impression. The other thing about this is that I think Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael may huff and puff in this and then decide eventually, mm. look, we've considered this, uh, we've talked to Mr Higgins and we feel he should get another term. By the way, the other thing is this. While, the public, while he's usually popular with the public, as presidents tend to be, the public are not that engaged with the presidency. Mm. I just wonder the, sometimes politics has its own dynamic weave where even if, if all of that being true and I think you're probably right Michael that it is true you still may end up with a nomination and therefore but it's an election so, and it's such a cumbersome process like uh, maybe my recollection is a bit off but when Norris tried to do mm. the council circuit and the TD circuit last year now admittedly there were a lot less independents sure. in the doll, but a lot of them held the line until September because they wanted to see who else would emerge so if this is to happen, it's looking like a very, very late scramble for a nomination. And I think the parties will probably start thinking after Christmas about getting ready for one in the eventuality that one happens. So they won't be got completely on the blind, even if they want to leave Michael D. There will be something, January, February, March, looking for possible candidates, financing, etc., etc., etc. They will assume that they have to run candidates yeah. on the precautionary principle. Look, if, it's, if, the, if the history of the last two presidential elections in 1997 and mm. in 2011 tells us anything, it's a there will be a scatter of candidates. That's, so that's yeah. one of the many known unknowns facing us in 2018 as we head forward into it. But for the moment, gentlemen, thanks for coming in and a very happy new year. And that's it for this edition of Inside Politics, the last one of the year. Thanks to our producer, Declan Conlon, and our engineer, JJ Vernon, for all their great work through 2017. It only remains for me to wish you all an even more turbulent political year in 2018, because we know that's what you like around these parts. Do remember, you can subscribe to us on iTunes or on your preferred podcast provider. You can also find us at irishtimes.com slash podcasts. But until 2018, goodbye and thanks very much indeed for listening. 